hit the record button, I'm going to turn up the volume on the music. That's uh, all the failures I hope we have for one night. Ooh, hello, Internet. Welcome all our zero listeners, soon to be at least one or two, I hope. Um, I guess yes, we're going to well, fire off with the with the intro stuff. Um, welcome to the game, a show where we talk about uh, RPGs, nonsense, and whatever else we feel like. Uh, I am one of your hosts, the uh, oldest of the people, the grumpy old man Merwin, Grom or Merwin, whatever you want to go by, joined by... Uh, one of my fellow uh, writers here at Dungeon Studios, Dr. Pretorius, go ahead and say your piece. Yeah, sure. I'm Dr. Pretorius. I don't know if you're older than me, Merwin. Um, I'm fairly certain that I'm not. Okay. But, all uh, right. Just check it. I think I am the OG here at Dungeon Studios, uh, and it's very exciting to be here on the game. Yeah. But it, as okay. I explained to everybody, though, a um, little science fact for you. Einstein, smart guy, made a bomb or some shit. I don't know. Uh, he actually had it wrong. He said that mass affects grav mass affects gravity and gravity affects time, slowing it down. But I'm living proof he's got it backwards because I am fat enough that I live in dog years because of the amount of mass I have. So I'm really like 197, uh, which is makes me the senior when you when you factor in mass. So well, don't say anything because he fudged some numbers too. But we well, won't get into that. You know, <laughs> I mean, when you're the smartest guy in the room, who's going to tell you that you're wrong? That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, a, a so let's lot coming. Hear about, let's hear about. Let's hear about Merwin. Your background. Uh, your nerd I was, background. I was going to say we're going to as a first episode we're going to introduce ourselves to all the people on the internet. Um, you know, because there's about maybe a dozen of them in the in all of existence that know anything about uh, me because I've done a couple of streams. Um, like ones of I think I think my most concurrent viewers at once was two people. So that was awesome. Um, and then some guy from like Brazil. So, Hey, you know, uh, I'll take what I can get, but That's no, right. uh, That's so great. I'm, let's see. So I am 34 years, uh, into my nerd career, uh, found my first, uh, like fantasy novel when I was 11, happened to pick up like the middle, uh, the middle book of the Dragonlance trilogy. And then okay. that led to the hobbits, uh, which led to me just reading everything that I could, uh, it was always, always thought I wanted to be a writer. Turns out, uh, always wanted to be a storyteller. And that led me, like I said, right into finding Dungeons and Dragons, um, in seventh grade of middle school. Uh, my first game was horrible. Uh, I couldn't think of that be when you were middle school. Do I, are you really gonna make me do that? Yeah, I gotta get an idea. Oh God. 89. Okay. Okay. Good, 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 good. All right. 88, maybe even geez. That's okay. You'll see how this all fits together. No, I I know. I know. I know. But yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, I'd always wanted to like thought, you know, always created stories and everything. And I, I just assumed when I heard about this game that I was going to be like, it was going to be amazing. And then they start asking me questions like, what's your character's name? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, so my first character was a short lived wizard. Uh, always liked magic. Uh, who had the uh, ignominious name of uh, Snowguard Sunjins or Sundyangs, whatever Dungeons and Dragons is backwards. And I lived about, I don't know, three minutes before cruelly being murdered by the DM. Um, and then my response was, all right, let's go again. 
um, kind of thing. So that they only got a couple of games with them, and then found out that uh, one of my buddies from the neighborhood, his older brother, classic uh, Eddie type from uh, D and D past, uh, played, and uh, that led to a little drug deal where I gave up money and I got dice, but my mom couldn't know because she was crazy. Uh, and then away we go. Uh, I've played a ton of stuff since. Um, all manner of RPGs and whatnot. I'm basically a, a forever DM at this point in my uh, in my life, or have been for pretty much ever. Uh, but right, yeah, did right. a D&D, Shadowrun, Rifts, uh, Vampire. I got all manner of weird ones tucked in there, too. I can't even remember the names of. So. And what you've about, also done, yeah, you've done some Twitch broadcasts, too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, so I you gotta put that in your resume then, I think. Well, I, yeah, I do. Uh, like the, a dozen or so that I have in there. Actually, so here's what I have out on the interwebs that people may have seen. Uh, so I started and then tried to restart my own podcast called the Gromcast. Did 15 episodes originally with my friend, uh, Jamie, uh, and then went on a very long hiatus, uh, came back, um, with a couple of local nerds. Got a couple episodes in, but, uh, you know, full-time jobs and wives and scheduling issues put, you know, put a kibosh on that. Uh, and then in between that, uh, there was some streaming. I may have streamed a few of my horrible home games uh, without telling anybody <laughs> years ago. Uh, and then uh, in support of a charity event uh, that we did with a lo- with our uh, now-departed local game store, uh, we ran uh, several episodes of the story so far. That's my... Uh, overall campaign name this uh this session is the tales of the northern province uh the last one that i did was the wolves of winter both campaigns that i've written and uh we streamed uh, a few months of that trying to build up enough followers and whatnot to uh stream the charity event which was a uh a all day long um funhouse mega dungeon crawl kind of thing uh for oh, charity cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It worked out. Yeah, we raised uh, almost a thousand dollars. It was a good time. There was like fifty some odd participants, and uh, we learned a lot of lessons. We uh, we actually intend um, to turn this into something, uh, you know, kind, you know, kind of a traveling show, if you will, getting the physical props for the game kind of built up, refining the actual modules. Um, and challenges and the that rules yeah and the rules so that you can run it in a for-profit kind of environment so uh if you're playing the game people that are waiting to rotate in can throw money down to make a monster harder give you guys a be- you know give the players a benefit add more monsters even if they want to take control of a baddie and try to murder everyone mm-hmm. uh, so if they're throwing money in like that the players have a can throw money in to help themselves out and the tournament element of it uh, which we didn't do for the charity event because we were it's our first go round, but the the tournament style of it is you'll have three or four DMs running preset groups that have paid to right. play, right? Uh, through each of the sections of the dungeon, it's called the Endless Menagerie. Um, but they'll run through a section of it, and then based on how much money you spent for yourselves, how much money was spent against you, how far you got, uh, we'll score each of the teams, and then at the end of the day, um. You know, the, the best teams, would if you're doing a multi-day event, the best teams advance to the next day and, and get further into the dungeon. If it's a single-day event, then uh, the highest-scoring team at the end of the day wins whatever prizes we put up. And like I said, we did it for charity the first time, so I think that would be kind of the overriding plan. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I've done mm, probably 30 or 40 hours of D&D on the Internet, uh, which not many people have watched. Uh, and um, my idea for it now if I ever get around to having the time to do it again, is I'm going to run 
uh, I'm going to go back to this, you know, running the story so far on the internet. Uh, we're going to call the show D&D Raw. Uh, it'll, have, okay. it'll have zero production value. It will <laughs> literally be just cameras on nerds doing what we do during a D&D game. So uh, not going to be voice actors, not going to be terribly well presented, a lot of bad jokes, some eating in between, uh, and watching actual nerds play Dungeons & Dragons. I can't imagine how it wouldn't be a fantastic smash well, hit. You know, I, I have to say, some of the jokes are the best. I mean, I'm I'm forever DM too, and my players hit me with some, and I laugh for hours when they say stuff. Some jokes come up. But. All right, so hit me. You said so. so you so, are the elder, so yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I started way up. back in I started way back in '79. So how old um, were you in '79? Oh gosh, I was 12? two. So I was twelve. Okay. Um, and my brother. Uh, was he 17 at the time? You have to also remember that the drinking age at that time was also 16. Oh, well. Um, my two brothers lived downstairs in our house, so they pretty much had a bachelor pad, um, and everybody hung out downstairs. My brother Joe was a big um, Lord of the Rings fan. And in the back of the book at the time, there was an ad for Dungeons & Dragons. Somehow Gygax got that ad in there. I don't know how they did it. Um, but that intrigued my brother. Um, he went out and bought the white box set. And I played with him and his friends. He had designed a wilderness adventure for us. But man, they were plastered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so here I am, the 12 year old, like, I can, I can do this. I'm going to fight this. I got all these, you know, abilities, blah, blah. Yeah. And they were too busy talking about girls and past the beer and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I really didn't get into playing with them. And my brother actually and the friends ruined the books. Oh. They spilled beer on them, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. Oh. So I took that really hard. And my brother went out and bought me the um, basic set with the blue book. Okay. Um, and he was like, here, this is for you. And I took off from there. Uh, we were in middle school, uh, met some other friends. Uh, another friend of mine who was actually playing, who was a DM, already read the whole blue book. It's like, I'm DMing, I'm DMing. And it's funny because then you gave that story about the first time you played. Same thing. First time I played, Wizard Mikor. We go into Dungeon, I don't even think it was first room. Skeletons took us out. Game was over. Um and, and the other thing that was really funny was this guy was already homebrewing and we were 12. He was like, well, because that skeleton killed you, it's going to get experience and have more hit points the next time you come up against it. And I, guess, I didn't know what the heck he was even talking about. You know, I just learned how to play the damn game. So, all right. So that was the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then that group, we played tons of role playing games, but I'm not going to go into all of them right now. Um, continue to play D&D all throughout high school. Um, our group would meet every Saturday if we could. And then, you know, in between, you know, football games and band practice and all that stuff, we were still making time for it, um, our core group. So we kept playing, moved ourselves all the way up Wait, to, I guess, second edition. Real quick, hang on. i got to stop you there. Just to clarify, when you say band practice, sure. garage band, marching band? No. Yeah. No, marching band. Marching oh, band. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. 
No, that wasn't me. That was the other guys. Oh, okay. I was not involved Thankfully, in you were was, spared. All right, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a, I was a drama club guy, and I was actually the roadie for that marching band. So being the roadie was the fine. Roadie for the marching band—that's fucking That's phenomenal. Good. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I loaded the bus. Oh, nice. All right. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so we continued to play all throughout high school and college yep. into into two, and then broke into you know Ravenloft and all those where I kept playing with friends. I ended up in Pennsylvania and then I was coming home, driving back to New York so we could keep playing. Um, but eventually it just got too much. And I became a certified school teacher, um, moved to Maryland and pretty much dropped the game. You definitely have a teacher vibe about you, by the way. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, dropped the game for 20 years, taught math and science in elementary school. Now, let me tell you, role-playing games and everything I had done in D&D as a DM was always in my classroom. Um, it, it definitely helped me be a teacher, uh, being a DM beforehand. I, I would have to say that. that that's because then, being a DM taught you how to handle babies? Well, not only that, but how to, you know, just set up the whole experience um, to really motivate my students uh, with good stories, good storytelling, exciting things you know we didn't just do math we talked about the dragon and the gold and let's do the math now so it, it worked really good it worked really well for me the problem was i ended up uh having uh being exposed to some toxic mold oh uh which ended up triggering a genetic uh, disease in me um so i had to leave teaching uh it's really bad i was in a really bad way um, and that group that I played D&D with all those years came back uh, and said, hey, we can play online. Let's play online. They have this new 5E. You got to play. And when we first started, I said, dude, I can't, I can't play. This was like 2019. I said, I can't play. I couldn't even think. I couldn't read. I had shakes. It was atrocious. Um, and they actually coached me and encouraged me to keep, you know, come on, you got to play. You got to play. You got to play. They started playing without me, um, and then they just said, oh, we're playing every Thursday night. We're here. You just need to come in and play. You just need to come in and play. Um, and I say, but a couple months later, I had finally built the character, um, got in and started playing. I guess I played for about a year. I started my recovery. Um, my wife was like, wow, you're, you're doing great. Keep playing that game. <laughs> it seemed to be something that motivated me. Um, to get out of my funk when I was really, really in a deep, dark depression. So that's really a big part of the game for me is it brought me out of a dark, dark place. Um, and then, of course, uh, that year later, they asked me to take back over as the DM. And I wasn't really ready. So I started DMing for my daughter's Girl Scout troop. So it has like, you know, I'll try with little kids first since I was already a teacher Started running a campaign for them. They loved it. It went great. I felt comfortable. About six months into that campaign, I took over DMing for my old crew. Um, then about six months after that, I started another group for chronically ill people on Facebook. I felt like it had been so important in my recovery that I kind of wanted to share that with other people. So I started a group called Dr. Platorius's Chronic Expl Adventurers. And we have a few people now. We meet every other Saturday, you know. Uh, 
I guess, uh, sickness withstanding. Uh, you know, if we're all feeling okay, we all meet up and we get to play. So it's been awesome. Um, so I guess that's my nerd credentials for D&D. But I was also a cosplayer long before it was called cosplay. Yeah. You know, I was wearing that board costume in the Star Trek conventions and that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, so I don't know. What else would I be a nerd at? I don't know. Oh, and, and then, of course, um, I joined Dungeon Studios uh, what, about a year ago. All right. And I think I'm cruising on, like... 20 different discords. I pop in and out all different discords, check out uh, different Kickstarters, give a little input here and there. I'm really enjoying how much the game has expanded outside of just, you know, just this table you play with your friends. There's so much going on. Um, and so many people playing it now. I mean, I thought I was all by myself. Nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. So what other games do you play besides D&D? &D? What other well, so uh, Yeah, so um, uh, I found, let's see, so in high school, uh, we were big Magic players, um, was kind of the big thing. So okay. um, uh, that group of people, um, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why my internet sucks and talk at the same time. No, so, no, so, no, so, so we had, so we had, yeah, no. So we had a we had a whole crew of people um, uh, that you know in, in high school that were gamers. So there was a lot. Of, there were some tabletop war games, video games. Magic was the big one, uh, and then a lot of those people, you know, just because all of the nerd stuff is kind of interwoven. Uh, a lot of people had um, played different games. So um, you know, I remember uh, coming up. There was uh, Rift was uh, an old system. That yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, rem I remember a little bit of. Uh, uh, it did have a concept that I always liked the the mega damage and 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 you know uh, normal damage. So you could uh, you could shoot your forty five at a tank all you wanted. It was never going to do anything um, because you know a tank had you know armor that gave it a mega right. damage of one or, or mega hit points of one. I, could, I think it's roughly. And I fell in love with the uh, the idea of the Rift Walkers that their version of wizards. Uh, right. But that that was up for Palladium. That was a super complicated game. Um, yeah, most of their games were very complicated. Yeah, Palladium. yeah. It was, yeah. But you know what? Though it was one of the first games that I saw where there were, where, that had had like really like like source books that added to the game because D and D didn't have that. Like, cause, so our, our like so I started out with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. It was you know the the blue DM's guy with the white wizard on it. You know, and the like little demon coming out of the background and right, right. Um, like you know, and you know, and then uh, yeah. Then even the advanced books, there was only the monster manual, the yeah. DM's guide. Yeah, and, and like then, adventurers, I mean, you had setting stuff, but nothing that mo really modified the game. Like you didn't, you know, you didn't. It wasn't until you got later in second edition, you got the the class books that came up with the idea of kits, which were kind of like the pro, which the predecessor to prestige classes, uh, which were the precursor to fifth editions. Um, uh. I can't remember what, I can't what they're called now, but the, uh, you know, your class, your specialization when you get to the second or third level where you pick, you know, you're going to be, uh, right, right. um, um, well, you know what, you know what that was though, that was dragon magazine back then. Yeah. You know, cause dragon magazine had ranger in it and had, had all the other stuff in it, you know, that, that you would add into your games. Yeah. Um, uh, so that so, was really the big additions for us. Yeah, I, my, I think of traveler when you talk about those games. Okay. 
And Trailer that, and the that only theory. game you can spend six hours making a character and never get to the first session because you died in character creation. <laughs> yeah, but that that game had a gabillion books. Yeah, um, I mean that that thing was so fleshed out. You know, you could buy a book about battleships or a book about cargo ships or a book about anything. Players, uh, different classes. I'm probably using the wrong term, but that game had tons and tons of supplements, um, crazy amounts. Well, that was yeah. That was the thing with like with with Palladium is that it, yeah, it had it had all the it had source books for so much stuff that you know you could look at and say okay, that's you know that's you know this you know this is the setting you want to use or different things. And it added they added like classes and rules and and whatnot. Where like I said, D and D didn't really have that. So, but yeah, so no, so uh, the big one. So like I said, you know, then I, there was uh, we played. I played one system. I want to say it was called Fate, but that might be wrong. Um, where it was just two D tens and it was a lot of it was just interacting and storytelling and, um, and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, the big one that we got into was, uh, Shadowrun, which is, oh, yeah. um, it was definitely a big one. Yeah. 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 And it, some people played cyberpunk Shadowrun's like cyber fantasy. There was a star Wars game. We always, I always wanted to do, but then you have the problem that everybody who's, you know, everybody wants to be Jedi and that's not going to work. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, there are a bunch of other systems in between, like um, one of my, you know, one of my friends had RuneQuest, and um, I believe Gary Gygax came out with one called, I want to say, Dangerous Journeys, where everything in the system was all, all everything was percentiles. It's one of the ones where somebody explained it to me. Actually, you know, you know what's funny it was uh, it was my my friend Mike's older brother Jimmy um, that he he had, a, he had he was in a group in his twenties, and they had the guy the guy running it had that book and was doing a lot of homebrew stuff and. Um, I think, I think might've lied a little bit and claimed that he, he wrote the rules, I think for, if I remember the story correctly, claimed that he had, uh, he had written the book, but I'm like, that's not true. But, um, yeah, it was a, it was a percentile system, which I, I think is, is interesting. Cause it were, uh, you know, that was the, the whole game, the whole character development was, you know, managing your, all these, you know, dozen, two dozen, three dozen skills with percentiles and whatnot. So. Uh, neat ideas, and then a couple of a couple of oddballs here and there. Like I went to Gen Con one year and played a uh, Highlander role playing game. Played uh, a few other uh, different oddball ones. So that I was a. Know, I didn't even know there was a Highlander role. Well, game. yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah. I don't know. Again, it's one of those things where it's it's um, it's like well, if you play the game because you're a fan of Highlander, I mean, everybody doesn't everybody want to be the Highlander? Like, right. doesn't everybody want to be an immortal? And then. You know that kind of counterproductive to the whole, to the whole setting. Yeah. So. Yeah, I see what you're saying. No, no. But yeah. But yeah. So that no. So so, so while we're on, so while we're on the topic, like we talked about before. So there's 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 the the nerd cred, the the resume of nerddom, if you will. So let me ask you. So, uh, so mechanically, do you have a system that you like the mechanics of besides regular old D and D? Do you have a favorite, or is it all D twenties well, you know- for you? You know, you know, it was really interesting. I was in a test play for the new Marvel game. Okay. Um, and, and they and they used a system I had never seen before. They use three six sided dice. Okay. Um, and then uh, they're actually positioned like the first die is in position one, the second die is in position two, and the third die is in position three, and you roll those. Uh, for pretty much everything you do, like skill checks, you know, like we roll 20-sided in, in, in D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big one was 
the game is set in, you know, Marvel Comics Earth 616. So if you roll a 616, that's like the best roll you can get. I just need that. And then they had this they had this really interesting setup for, you know, first number, second number, third number. And and I'd never seen a system like that. Um, and it was actually at the 616, it sort of gave, and then it gave the, the GM. I was a player, so I didn't actually see the, the rule set. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't giving it out to us, but he was explaining that, you know, when it's 616, he can really go over the top with, you know, how your power worked. Right. And then that it was, and I thought that'd that was be, a really uh, neat system. That, that'd be like the Phoenix Force wiping out existence or, you know. Right, right. Kind of exactly. crazy shit like that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like like it's like a or or you know, Wolverine actually cut someone in half at, at that point. Um, very nice, very nice. Do you have so no, so? Uh, I mean, is that? But uh, no, games, game system wise, no. I, I've played so many different games. I thought at one time they were trying to do the crossovers where you could like go from Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and time travel to Boot Hill, mm-hmm. and then you could like time travel to Gamma World. And we tried a lot of that back in the day, but it never really worked very well. Um, never played very well story-wise. Yeah. And, well, that's why uh, I never um, – I know uh, some people are all uh, all giddy about the recent uh, recent re-release of Spelljammer, but I never – like, it's like I just didn't get it. Like, didn't didn't tickle my fancy, didn't, didn't appeal to me at all, so. Well, that's funny because I was a Spelljammer DM. Oh. And the only – now, wait, I'm going to tell you, the only reason why I like Spelljamming – back then for 2E was because everybody I played with knew all the monsters, every, right. all the other monsters. So once I had a new set of, you know, a new set of monsters that they didn't know, it sort of gave the mystery back to the game. Uh, I mean, I kind of felt that way coming back to 5E even from 2E because the monsters are not the same. Well, yeah, um, I, yeah, it was, I, I will tell you, def- definitely, um, uh, definitely an interesting experience when, um, and, and I know this from trying to modify second edition back in the day, uh, right. the look on the player's faces when they, you know, they see, uh, the, the horde of orcs and they, you know, go whack away at one of them and like, why well, did like 10 damage? He's dead. Right. And like, nope, there's a, there's a like, you know, well, it depends on the group. My, the, my, uh, my normal home game just yelled at me that I was cheating. Um, but you know, more sensible folk would, uh, you know, would realize they were in for something they weren't expecting and kind of enjoy the challenge. That's one of the things that uh, I argue with uh, my friends about incessantly and other gamers is this idea of, um, you know, of mystery in the game. And, and I remember back to when you started and right. you, you know, you, when you, you, the first time you got the rule book and you cracked it open and you're like reading about spells and you read about high level ones and you're thinking about like how crazy it'll be to someday like throw a fireball or whatever, right. or when you found a magic item and it, you know, and you know, death was right around the corner and you bled and lost 37 characters getting through the first room and you finally make your way and you get that first item and you're like, you don't know what it does. Like right. there's a, there's, there's something about that. And uh, I always, you know, that's, that has shaped my, uh, my game philosophy is always trying to do that. So, uh, you know, I got I agree. I got it. I, I agree. I remember I had started a campaign with a group in Philadelphia when I was living there and I started this thing with potions were colors. So all they knew were colors. And it was such a great thing to do because then they found red potions and then they found purple potions and then 
it was very interesting because uh, it kept the mystery up. Yep. Yeah, no, you, really, you, really did. Yeah, you have to. It's one of the reasons why, uh, shameless plug, uh, one of the reasons why uh, many of the monsters uh, in uh, our upcoming Volume 2 uh, Kickstarter for Dungeon Studios, uh, many of the monsters that I use are uh, are have a template attached to them that fits them in with the theme of the dungeon. So um, what might look like... Um, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a zombie uh, will actually be something completely unexpected, not to give anything away. Um, but, you you know, it's a very simple, uh, simple way to tie together a dungeon or a story arc. Uh, and then... Oh, yeah, and I, I, and I, wrote, I wrote in mine, I guess I definitely put in some original monsters, but I put some SRDs in too, but you definitely, you got to keep that mystery up. Yep. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's essential. Now we're talking about games. Yep. And, and I don't I don't know if this crosses role playing. It's it's sort of role playing, but it's also sort of a board game. Have you ever heard of the game Grav Ball? Grav Ball? Yeah, Grav um, Ball. Like an is this a board game or a game you invented? Yeah, it was it was it was actually it was a board game. Okay. Um and it was set up where you got uh lead miniatures. Okay. Because they don't give lead miniatures anymore. Good very good to chew on. Right. Um, and they were on it. Basically, it's a game where it's, I guess, five on five in a zero G uh, stadium. OK. And there's a metal ball and you've got to throw this ball into the goal. And it's no time, you know, whatever. Punch, kick, check. OK. Um, sort of like rollerball, um, only, you know, one not not in a circle. And then this robot comes out. Um, when everybody starts fighting and starts beating everybody up. So the game was run by a ref. Okay. And he ran the robot. And then and then two other players were playing the two teams. And man, we had the best time playing this game. Um and I don't know if it was just the excitement of playing such a space age violent game, you know, with you know, no repercussions. Maybe we felt free of role-playing rules. You know, it was sort of a break when we would play D&D. Like, if everybody didn't show up, hey, let's play grab ball tonight. You know? But that was definitely a great game. Um, and nice. actually, the video game Speedball on the old Genesis. Okay. That's taken from that game grab ball. All right. See, when see when you started mentioning the, the no, no holds barred, my video game mind immediately went to, like, Mutant League hockey or whatever right, where you, right. were, you never no one ever tried to win the game you tried to kill all the other players <laughs> so the team had a forfeit so, so we uh, that's what, that's what we liked about it i guess it wasn't us against monsters it was us against us i don't know yeah see i was uh, so i was having this conversation speaking of, of other games so we used to we would create games we try to anyways um and we created some real life games um you know just to, to given our environment there was one called drive ball my uh, my buddy Sean's already laughing about this, I'm sure. And uh, it's I don't know how to explain it. So take tennis rules, but get rid of the net, uh, get rid of the tennis ball and rackets, replace it with your bare hand and those little mini basketballs you used to like get at Pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah, little yeah. hard <laughs> fucking monster rubber things. Uh, <laughs> and it was two on two out in the street, and you had to, you had to serve across the you know the no man's land, uh, and then. Uh, and then whack that ball back, um, you know, with your hand, um, you know, into the enemy enemy side. However, the game, of course, couldn't be that simple. 
So there was all manner of fucking rules. But in the no man's land, you could accost each other. And uh, I came to uh, our Sean, our Sean's uh, buddy Doug, who was like eleven and a half feet tall. Um, we learned to fear the ball because of Doug. Because if you went in the no man's land with Doug, he would fucking spike that off your face, and there was nothing you could do about it. And I wasn't short; like I'm tall, I was six foot one, uh, probably a little taller before I was old and fat, maybe six foot two even. But uh, Doug was a fucking mameluke, so he would just manhandle you. So of course, those are rules he had written up. I think so. He loved that shit. All right. But, so now you were talking about you don't like the Spelljammer setting. So I hate. What, yes. What, well, is, what is your setting? What, well, what my mo for everything. It, my, so let me just exp- preface this for the people on the internet and for you who are going to have to hear me talk for thousands of hours. Um, <laughs> I pretty much complain about everything. I like nothing except what I do, and then everything else is garbage. Um, <laughs> that's just my default setting. But uh, no. Um, so uh, much to my some of my friends' chagrin, I am. Uh, I am. About about ninety six percent a like uh, Tolkienian purist, so I like that medieval style fantasy, and not not that I'm opposed to having. And I have this in my in my campaign setting, you know, my own homebrew, having analogs to you know exotic cultures, and you know I love fucking samurai right. and yeah. ninjas, and you know I uh, I had we you know as I've as I opened the game world up to. Um, uh, player driven creation. Uh, you right. know, I have, you know, I have, I have whole sections that are, are analogous to like real world cultures and different places. So I have no problem with that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I, I stick to this core philosophy that magic is, is magic and special and rare and items are, you know, things that, you know, that have a history. You're not going to go into fucking gnome mart and, uh, you know, peruse the aisle of discounted plus one swords uh, I agree you know, with you on that getting one. getting yes. pumped out by a, a gnome assembly line in the back room. This is, by the way, I hate gnomes, which is why all the things I hate are run by gnomes. But uh, well, like, and, it's that's just, why, and that's why my module is about a gnome, just because yeah. you hate it. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was for, I was uh, I, I'm not gonna lie. I was I was forced. Uh, I was I was forced. I'm not anti magic. I look at my buddy in the chat. I'm not anti magic. I'm anti magic being common. That's what I'm anti. But uh, yeah, I was forced to put gnomes in in my module as well. That's the that's the problem when you write for somebody else. You got to put their crazy ideas in print. So, so my my friends can look forward to that in the play test. I have to actually have gnomes alive. Hurts me to the no, soul. I think, I think I agree with you. I think I'm very I'm very token yeah. uh, based European, right. So with that, stretch into that other stuff. Yeah. So with with that so with that being said, so the uh, this you know that idea. That it is uh, a pre-technological world, um, and you know, magic is, is is like I said, is rare, and those things are are, are very special um, in the world. So that's 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 really typically what I kind of stick to in my D and D fantasy RPG kind of settings. So when it comes to things, so when it comes to things like uh, you know, like steampunk stuff. If I'm if I have control of things, it's not. It's just it's, thinking that very word. I keep I keep I keep looking. Sorry, I keep looking over the chat. And my friends are harassing me. So, but um, no, I I I keep. You know, if I have the option, I don't really include the the you know magic punk kind of stuff, airships and um you know wacky robots and automatons and. Um, but this here's the same thing. You know, the same thing applies to some of the modern sensibilities. Things with. 
like, you know, it was a long time for me to work in, you know, tieflings and dragonborn and um, any sort of anthropomorphized animal characters into my games. And I really had to find a, a fluff that I was comfortable with to, to add them. But that stuff just never appealed to me. Like, and I, here's the thing with crazy things. I like pirates. I love, and like I said, I love the Shadowrun setting, which is cyberpunk and fantasy mixed together, but that's because the, that's what those settings are. I'm going into the game knowing that this is what it is. No, you're uh, right. You're absolutely right. You know? Um, and I think when they wrote uh, barrier peaks, Yep. Back in the day, you know, that crossed into the Yeah, well, you find, yeah, you, you yeah, you find a spaceship and the wands are actually fucking blasters. I remember I remember that one. Now, now I love that. I mean, and I, and again, I thought that was really cool. Um they made it very limiting, so like when you left, you had to have your power chips to run the weapons or they weren't going to work anymore. It wasn't like it was going to break the game. Right. Um so I did I do like that and and I think the thing with steampunk for me mm-hmm. uh in the game or technology I think, again, like you were saying with the magic, it's a rarity um, when you come across it. I like to have it sometimes, though. I think it works pretty well. I, I feel very comfortable with it. But I'm also, like I said, I'm a Spelljammer guy, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I said, uh, that just, the, uh, like I said, never super appealed to me because, like, you know, the um, the other problem with it, and I hear, from what I understand, this is this is still a problem with the modern iteration of it, is that what what makes the setting magical? It's the, well, it's the fact that you're on these ships that travel around you know between worlds in the in in space and there are all these things that are unique to that but the problem with that in in the old game um is that everything was just based around going to some new world and doing normal D stuff and get, kind of getting back on your ship uh and you know with with a few exceptions you had obviously had your you know your pirate raids and things like that but how many times can you do that in a campaign before you're like Meh, okay See, but yeah. I think I think the thing about Spelljammers that worked for me back in the day was um, the ships operated by eating magic items. So if you had a party that had too much freaking magic, they couldn't go anywhere. They had to put it in the engine. They had to burn it to so go? They had to burn it to go. Uh, I, guess so pe- that, I guess people kind of grumpy, though, doesn't it? No, it, it really didn't make them grumpy because... You got to think about too. Spell jammers are, are are collecting all kinds of you know materials along the way, um, and that that became part of the game. You know, because you could get stranded on a on a planet. That planet is now the campaign. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, I mean that's the way I played it. Um, I mean that's the way we did. I always think of that um, AWOL Nation video, the guy with the goggles and he's like throwing the magic books into the fireplace. You ever seen that video? No. Oh man, you got to look it up. Oh, it's freaking great. It's it's total. It, sorry, very steampunk. Uh, you got to check it out. A Wall Nation. All right, I will. I will do that. But uh, yeah, but like, it yeah, never appealed to me because it just ended the up being ADD, a the ADD song. Okay. Yeah, you got to check it out. Make you know that. But yeah, never appealed to me because it always just ended up being just you know Dini on a planet and the spaceships ended up kind of being fast travel or or or, or whatever. And then well, here's another thing. We were already, we had already been big um, Star Trek role playing game fans. So that whole idea of space combat and all of that, and then exploring planets, having those two different dynamics, we were already used to that. Yeah. So I think that fit very well for us when we were able to switch right over. Yeah, but know, the space, oh, but the space combat stuff sucked. Like that's the that's the big knock on the modern one. Yeah, is that it's... But I think that's what I'm saying. We kind of homebrewed our space combat from. Okay. Star Trek into 
jammers. Okay. That made sense. No, Maybe no, actually, no. That that would see, this is the thing. This was my suggestion with um with the modern spell jammer things. We were talking about it in my Wednesday group and and with some other people. Is that the the way the the rules are not set up to provide a rewarding experience? Just like uh, my friend ran um a few sessions of uh, Starfinder. Um, which, you know, is the space version of Pathfinder. I like the rule set. We had a good time with it. There's a lot of uh, hilarious jokes that, that came, we came up with. Um, but when it got to the, the ship parts, the way that the game is set up so poorly because you get one ship and it's like, all right, all five people are working together, except <laughs> that all five people have like one or two options. They don't, really do anything there's and there's a very it's very static for everyone except the pilot who moves the ship otherwise you're just making it you're making attack rolls and i'm like that like it's there's not there's not enough meaningful there's not enough uh depth to the the ship combat where you everybody has meaningful choices that impact everybody else and really provide uh really provide a um yeah, and I think that was uh, covered in the that was covered in the Star Trek game. Yeah, where you yeah, know, so like you, that's the nature that's the nature of Star Trek. Everybody has a role during you know the yeah. engineer. And so yeah, which unfortunately, which unfor- I don't think translates well. Which is why I would suggest one of two things: one, you have to for you have to you know shoehorn in there. Uh, you know, uh, in Star Trek, it'd be runabouts, um, or in other systems, you know. Um, you know, starfighters, smaller ships, what, you know, mini spell jammers. Right, so right. that the, so that people, you know, maybe you have one or two roll, you have two rolls on the ship that have a ton of options. So you really got it. So like the choices matter. And then everybody else is controlling their own starfighter, trying to help out with things and whatnot. Or option two is, is again, you, you just give up, you give up on using the rules they provide you and you grab another system to play the game. Like we played uh, one called silent death back in the day. That was a that was a fun little starship combat game. Um, I know that there's you know like there's the star you know the, um, Star Wars Armada. There's several other systems that you could probably co-op. Yeah, um, and then you just have to you just have to make the you know you have to make the the move to have more stuff. Which is if you notice, speaking of Star Trek, if you're if you're a fan of the shows and everything, um, if you're a fan of the shows and everything, in later seasons, what you started to get was you started to get. Um, them including things like the run up, the, you know, they would they get into fights and they would have the runabouts zipping around oh, shooting yeah. shit and whatnot oh, yeah. because you because because otherwise the the you know there's only so many times you can rock the camera and have everybody jump around the bridge before right. and and have the have the warp you know have the warp core breach before you're like okay it's another episode of the okay I'm well, sure it'll be fine if you if you do play Spelljammer out there and you're listening to us make sure they have to have some kind of fuel. And, and and think about what else can happen to those ships, man. Because yeah. I feel like they're indestructible. They just say, "Okay, here's the ship. You're good to go." Yeah. Well, the other problem with the that, with the like all. with That's... the rules is written for that too is that all of like in Spelljammer, all the ship options are buns compared to everything the characters can do. Like right. I like I was somebody the the one of the guys in my Wednesday group had bought that and they're like talking about it and I'm like it's like it's like yeah you could fire the cannons it takes seven rounds you roll one dice. And it does three d ten damage. Like, wow. Um, like, uh, well, in five e, and this is I, one of the many rules I have a problem with. But like, wow, my character's fucking cantrip does three d ten damage. And I can do it every round. Why would I fire the fucking cannon? Why would I give a shit about that? You know, it's so skewed because 
player the the players are basically little superheroes. They have so much shit. They that's can do, that's but. and that's it. That's and that's why I went with the you know the magic item consumption. I think that's that's essential. Yeah, I mean it's it's not again some having some dump for resources certainly not a, not a problem. But but I will say in fairness to uh, my friends who hate everything I do, um, at least one of them who's in the chat right now sniping at me, but um. I, I I've I've softened in my old age as I, like I said I opened I opened up the the game world for other people to contribute ideas more and more and more. Um, I got I got a lot of systems in place that I do that with and and I've you know I've softened so you know you know uh, we got my I, you know I want to teach my kid the game how so campaigns, how many campaigns are you currently running now? Do you have one group? How many? Groups I just just run? one. I was do I was doing two. So I was I was running the the final arc of the Wolves of Winter. Um, while running um, the first arc and the beginning of the second arc of the um, Tales of the Northern Province with uh, a group of noobs um, and my daughter who was learning how to play the game. And then that game kind of fell apart and we, uh, I mixed in, uh, I mi- you know, kind of mixed groups. Um, a couple of people from that game came over to my, to the Wolves of Winter and we finished that out. And then as that was ending, we had started up uh, at the local game store, I had started up. Uh, another session of Tales of the Northern Province. So now Wolves of Winter finished and uh, back in January, and, and I've just been running uh, the one now. Although now we're going to be starting play tests. That's a good segue, by the way. If you were planning, if you weren't planning it, shame. If you were, no, pretty smooth. I like was. it. I, so it certainly good? was. All right, I like it. It certainly was. Yeah, I I, I currently run three. I run uh, the Girl Scouts. Yeah. Um, I run Docs um, Pretorius's Chronic Adventurers. And then I run one which I call La Mission de la Cruz de la Plata, which, of course, is the Curse of the Cross of Silver, uh-huh. uh, which is my Ravenloft uh, campaign. And now, of course, I'm also um, going to be running uh, DMing for Dungeon Studios. I've already run a test of Misty Towers. In fact, yep. tomorrow night I'm running... Um, well, hey, uh, say, don't uh, you're say, uh, Rise of the Raven Lord? Right or are you know that? Light. I already did. I already did Raven Lord. Oh, nice! Uh, Rise of Raven Lord. Yeah, I already did that one. Okay. Um, that yeah. was going back to the author to do some some uh, touch ups. Yeah, don't get uh, don't get too deep in the stories about this. That's what I want to do. Oh uh, no, no, I, no! I wanted to, I wanted then, to fill up the 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 second part of our conversation with some of that stuff because I'm interested then, in how those are going. No, and tomorrow is uh, Pillars of Light. I'll be nice. DMing tomorrow night. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm uh, my uh, my real world life goes from being kind of mellow to stupid. Uh, we're currently in a very stupid phase, so my uh, my free evenings have dried up. Uh, I'm looking forward to to running a play test of the module I wrote, the Titan Speak. I had wanted to hop into some play test and or offer to run other play tests. Just haven't had the windows of time to do it, unfortunately. Yeah, it gets but, it gets tricky running three campaigns and yeah. everything else. You're doing. All right. Well, no, let it's... me. Uh, so let me finish. Uh, we got we got uh, roundabout on the topic. Um, so mechanically, the the system that I I, I I like a lot is the Shatter One style system. Not specifically theirs because the modern rules are a hot dumpster fire, uh, and the old ones were good. But I I, I just started reviewing some of them. Um, cause I'm going to run a one shot for the local people here when I get a, a free weekend. Um, and, uh, I wasn't sure if the rule, if I thought the rules were awesome because of nostalgia or because they really were good. And I'm finding that they're better than I thought they would be going back, but there's still some issues and 
things to tweak. But I, the big thing with that system that I like is um, I like the idea of different stats combining to make like meta stats. So, um, you know, uh, in the game, so like, you know, you know, your initiative is, uh, you know, um, is your reaction stat plus your, um, yeah. uh, was it, it's reaction, willpower and something else. Um, add them up, you divide them and that gives you your stat for like initiative, for example. And the reason I like the idea of that is that one, it's, it, it's logical. Like your ability to react is a count, like in, even the, and even in the real world, your ability to react in the real world is, is, is a mixture of, you know, how calm, cool and collected you are, how well trained you are and how, um, how, you know, how much, how well you can recall that training to react in a certain situation. Um, and then it also relies heavily on your ability to see what's coming in the you know, processing input to determine when and what to do and when to act, but also, you know, physically, how can you do that? You know, and, uh, and that's going to vary from people to people. And the, the beauty of that system, my opinion, anyways, um, is that unlike Dungeons and Dragons or others where everything is, you know, one stat affects one other thing, there's no dump stat. There's no, um, there's no, there really isn't a best of stat in that game. Uh, like D and D, and this is a this is a topic I can argue about for like thirty seven hours. We'll have to save it for a later show. But like dexterity is, was, and will always be, as currently iterated, the best stat in Dungeons and Dragons, hands down. There, it's because it's it's good for every class. Uh, in the new, in modern editions of the game, they even decided to add you can add your dexterity as damage bonus to melee weapons, right. which is fucking madness. So it's, it's just, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no reason not to have that be, if not your highest stat, your second highest stat. It's good for everything. And and if you do the math on it, a dexterity fighter is better than a strength fighter, a con fighter, uh, you know, heavy armor. They're just better, just flat out better because, you know, and and like, I'm not going to get into that. So those, those merge systems kind of avoid that. Which uh, which I, I, I which I, which is interesting, and then I like uh, I like mini games, and I like I like challenging rule, not challenging rules, but I like things that challenge the player. So one of the things with the third edition was that um, you have your, your you have your skills. The better the higher your skill, the better you are because you roll more dice. Um, the better your stats are, and the meta stats are, the better your you know your outcomes are going to be because you have more dice. Um, but then they give you pools that you have to kind of manage throughout an entire round of combat. And some, some characters may act two or three times in a round. So you have to manage that pool of dice. Um, and if, you know, you blow it all on your first shot, you're not going to have it for right, any subsequent right, ones. You're not going to have left. it for, yeah, you're not going to have it to use to defend yourself, so on and so forth. Now, it's not a perfect system. Like I said, I think there's some some tweaking that certainly could be done. But uh, I always like that one. But the uh, there's yeah, another system. It, I haven't, oh, go ahead. No, it's interesting. You're talking about that. It made me think of another game and another system I use that I've never seen anywhere else. You ever hear the game of the creature that ate Sheboygan? Um, it's it's a game where no. one player plays one player plays the monster, right? And the other player plays you know the humans, uh, an army, and the monster arrives in the city, and you have to get the populace out of the city and and then you got to get your army troops in and you know eliminate the monster or the monster destroys the city you know either either the humans win or the monster wins um but the way this was set up was in ratios so you would like 
uh, like like six cannons lined up, six tanks lined up against the monster, they would have an attack score, and then you would add that attack score together, and then you would look at the monster's defense score, and then you would have to do the ratio. Now, of course, I'm a math teacher, so it was very easy for me to do all these ratios and, and figure it out. Um, but I had never seen another game like that, right. and I thought the system worked really, really, really well. Um, because again, if one tank drove up, you know, to Godzilla, yeah, um, the the ratio was in Godzilla's favor, you know. Um, yeah. And then you would roll on this table, and then you would look at the ratio, and I, it just. I had never seen another game system like that. So I had to bring it up. And that was another game I brought into my classroom. Nice. Um, well, with well, ratios and fractions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, one of the, so, uh, well, th- that reminds me of a thing. So I'll, uh, two pieces on this and then, uh, I'll stop beating the, the mechanics to death. The, um, in, uh, I was working on my own, um, set of rules. I think that's every nerds. Um, that's the, oh, yeah. uh, oh, but, yeah. what, that's, that's not the Holy grail, but whatever. That's the, um, I, there's a term yeah, for it. I, I tried to make a Shogun Warrior game yeah. way back in the yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all, yeah, we all try to write rules. That, that's that's the thing. That's everyone's uh, everyone's end game, I guess. Um, so, <laughs> so in mine, a big thing for mine, and I think, and I'm still not giving up on the idea because I think that the more we merge technology with tabletop systems like mine will become more plausible, and and it might be better. My my point was this: is that. I like the I, I I like the idea of crunching a game where there's a lot of levers to flip and you as the player, both through your in-game choices and and your you know your initial build and the things you decide on, that there be a lot of factors that affect your um you know your ability in in all different areas uh, how you know how hard you know how well you survive combat how lethal you are how successful you are whatever, um, and I like the idea that multiple things will contribute to that that goes back to the Shadowrun system. Um, and I had the idea where, you know, you, you know, you'd have, you'd have, you know, you'd have some basic direct relating stats. So, um, you know, your skill with a weapon translates to some portion of that translates back to defense, um, the gear that you have, what kind of styles you focus on. So, so a bunch of little options, right? So that you have a bunch of this crunchy math stuff outside the game, but you use like a tablet or whatever that auto factors all of these things in well, for yeah. you. I mean, as you say, that's what's made 5e so popular. Yeah. Because people have jumped into the game. doesn't have that stuff. You know, and you don't have to add anything when you're on Beyond. Yeah. You know, you don't have to add any pluses, any... It's like, Jesus Christ. Well, there isn't... Well, there, first of all, there isn't a lot. They, don't, they stripped out just about everything to add anyways. So right. there isn't there isn't there isn't a bunch, and then you have a you have a calculator for it. So I mean, I can gripe as an old man about you know these whippersnappers and their cal- in their calculators in math class, but it, I mean it is what it is. But but so in, in my own personal system, I wanted to have all those different factors, and then things like because um, one of the things that I, I I hate gnomes for a lot of reason, um, a lot of reasons, but one of the things that always bothered me was the, the immersion breaking nature of a fucking gnome or a halfling, you know, Frodo having an 18 strength and being stronger than, uh, you know, uh, a half orc barbarian who's got a 17 strength. Like that's just stupid. Like I, I guarantee you the mountain from game of Thrones is going to murder any person with dwarfism on the planet yeah. earth, no matter how jacked up they are. Like there's just nothing they're going to do about it. You know, a grizzly bear <laughs> is going to kill you. This, and a grizzly bear is going to kill the mountain. Doesn't matter what he does. See, and to me, to me, if someone is doing that, they're not in the campaign. 
I mean, I, I feel like when you're playing D and D, your DM is is still the guide, um, and you're going to run that by him first. And, he, and and if a player said to me, "My gnome has an 18 strength," I'd be like, "Come on, dude." Well, this, so this is my thing. So this is my solution to that. And my rules was going to be uh, was going to be a meta stat. It was going to be your power rating. And like I said, I like the player's choices to matter the most. So you know, um, uh, and this is. Uh, not to get into my personal thoughts about body positivity nonsense, but you know, there's a trend with a lot part of the community about, you know, uh, you know, make your characters fat and fabulous and whatnot. You know, there's different body types. Let me tell you something. First of all, from an immersion standpoint, um, uh, if I had, uh, my real world physical abilities in the D and D game, I would die to the first goblin that came along. Cause I'm fat and slow and squishy. Right. Yeah. So having my D and D character be uh, be a, a hefty honey is it, like I'm glad you feel included and it makes you happy about yourself. But it's like, yeah, you're gonna die. Like you you can't That's run. Really not practical. Yeah, you can't run fast. You're uh, you're not really dodging blows in combat for very long. Let's let's calm down with that shit. No, no. And I will say this: what? we did do that once back in the day. Where we all played ourselves. Yeah, I've, I've played Avatar we, games before. They're fun. Yeah, they're great. They're great. But you get killed right away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so my, my point is, was, so I had, a, I, I had a meta stat in the system <laughs> called power. And it was it was your your size. And then players would choose their build. So if you, want, you, know, if you wanted to be the mountain as a fighter versus the viper... Uh, you know, so if Game of Thrones reference, gotcha. if you don't know it, so, you know, the gigantic, you know, the gigantic Brock Lesnar NFL player looking monstrosity yeah, human yeah. kind of thing, you know, um, you know, as your character versus being, you know, somebody who, you know, versus being, uh, you know, uh, Wesley from uh, or the Dread Pirate Robbers from Princess Bride kind of thing. Right, you know, right. the big hulking brute versus the, the nimble, skillful guy, John Wick versus the mountain, if you will. Like you would make that choice as a player, like what your character's built like, and that would affect these meta stats. So, um, so a halfling with an eighteen strength would have a power rating of you know point five because they're they're jacked, but they're small, you know. And that and yeah, that, that makes you know, sense. Yeah, I see right. what you're doing. And then yeah, and then it. and then the the Goliath would have a, a power rating of two, and a bear would have a three, and a dragon would have like a fucking twenty, and. That would that would get over that problem. So you could be you could be the most jacked of the short people, but you're not stronger than the you know than an orc who's you know who lives in the right. wilderness and murders people for a living, kind of thing. Yeah. It's a yeah. ratio system, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ratio essentially, system. yeah, essentially that kind of stuff. And then so the other, but the other game system that I found interesting, and I don't know too much about it, um, and I think this is actually called the Fate System, but they use it in one of the versions of the Warhammer RPG, and they use it in another couple of games, where Player describes what's going to happen, what they want, what they're trying to. The, the DM describes a scenario. The player describes what they're going to try to do, and then they roll these fate dice. And then, depending on uh, character-specific stuff, scenario, situation stuff, whatnot, you will add or remove good dice, bad dice, neutral dice, random dice, um, kind of thing. You will have those, right. and then you roll this. You roll those, and then. You separate the good dice go here, the the fate dice go in the middle, the bad dice go to the right, and then they'll have different symbols. They don't have numbers; they have symbols on them. Um, and then the the narrator looks at that and says, "Okay, you got, you know, you got this result in the goods, you got this result in the randoms, you got this result towards the bad." And then based on that, they narrate the outcome. So there's no like rolling the hit or damage, no rolling success, you know, checks for success. 
It's here's a scenario. What are you doing? Boom, we roll. And then it goes bad. It goes great. It goes good. It goes bad. It goes sideways. Unexpected things happen based on the interpretation of these dice. And I thought it was a really good idea, like really interesting. But I think it needs a certain kind of DM and a certain kind of player. They want to be in that kind of mode, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that is awesome. It's just a good idea. But I don't know if it's going to work out so well. So, okay, hey, so we are at the uh, the one-hour mark. So I would like to take a quick five-minute break. It gives me a chance to test out the uh, the waiting screen and stuff in the stream, uh, refresh my beverages, uh, empty uh, my reserve, if you will, um, and whatnot. So uh, for the stream out there, how about take about a five-minute break? I'm going to outro you guys uh, with the game theme song, and I'm going to switch over to the uh, Be Right Back screen, and uh, we'll take a quick five-minute break. Oh, I didn't have a countdown timer. Shit, you're right. I'm looking, I'm looking at my uh, my chat window. Uh, I definitely should have muted. Ooh, I didn't mute Discord. Whoops. <laughs> well, uh, we're bad at this sort of thing. We'll get there, I guess. So, hey, so uh, welcome back, everybody. We'll uh, we'll learn these things. Yes, so, welcome back. Yeah. All right. Let me make sure we'll we got. Rusty, uh, but we'll be alright. Everything's going as far as I can tell. I think we're still on the interweb. So. Let's kick it off. We'll get into the uh, the second half of the show as we close down here. So, uh, we've established some nerd cred, talked about some of the things we like. I don't like anything, especially not magic or fantasy games. But uh, I'm or curious, gnomes. though. Or uh, gnomes. As we, I definitely hate gnomes. Uh, as we've been uh, uh, mentioned a couple of times, uh, we both picked up a gig doing uh, some writing and obviously some other things for Dungeon Studios. Uh, their second Kickstarter is coming out. Uh, I believe, I want to say November, I think they launch it. Yep, yep. November will yep. be the launch for uh, the modules, and yep, then December too. is actually going to be the launch for some supplement books. Yeah, the uh, I believe the first setting book for the uh, for them, yeah. right? Yeah, for Droden and Avast will be the two settings in the setting books coming out in December. Nice. The All modules right. have Briny Botel. Okay. Uh, for the lower uh, one to three, and four what's to the five? We have wait, hang on. What's the what's the back cover splash for Briny Botel? Uh, that's a uh, murder mystery. Um, would be the theme. All right. Uh, the party gets stuck at a hotel, a botel, and uh, witness a murder and can try to solve it. Wonderful. Um, what's the next level up? The next level is uh, four to six, I think. Okay. And that's Misty Towers, uh, which is you are on a quest. Uh, you're actually following a warlock who is trying to get one of Enron's Hell's Bells from the Misty Tower. The Misty Tower was built by a crazy-ass gnome. Um, so you can just imagine where that's going to lead the players. Um and then the next one up, I'm going to, gosh, I'm forgetting one. Pillars of Light is, is 10 to 12. So Ra- the Rise of the Raven Lord, right? Oh, uh, no, no. Rise of the Raven Lord is, is 13 to 15. Oh. 
Yeah. The yeah. galley is the, the big one. And then the galley, uh, General, Wa- that General Lost Galley, will, is going to be an 18 to 20. What about, is this the, um, what's the one with the, um, the, um, the penitent or whatever? The, um, my brain's drawn a blank. Oh, with the underwater? No, no, no. It's the the thing, the stuff for the thing in peoples. <sighs> stuff for the thing in peoples. Hang on, um, let me look. Uh, oh, Titan's Peak is the one in between. The no, mine, no, mine's a high level one. That's that's why that's what I forgot. No, mine's See, a high, yeah. mine's a high level one. What what level is yours? Six, fifteen to eighteen. Uh, okay, that that makes sense. So it's. So it's we're, uh, we're missing the like the middle we're missing the middle one which I thought uh, penitent whatever is of the blind god is that the one no no the vision of the blind god uh, came out as That's a mini adventure in the Enron Chronicle uh, we're gotcha. up to like, three episodes three issues now and there's an right. extra Enron adventures in that as well yeah no Rise of the Raven Lords it well it's, it's in the volume two list. It so is, one, but it's, two, it's also up Dark level. Escape. That's it, Dark okay. Escape. All right, so I do know the theme of Dark Escape. Okay. Um, is the introduction to um, Eneron's Nether Void, which I believe is their Underdark. Okay. Um, Pillars of Light, what's that one? Pillars of Light, um, you are trying to save a race of insect creatures who have been forced out of their home by a blue dragon. Okay. Rise okay. of the Raven Lord? Rise of the Raven Lord is, again, another introductory into the Skurg. Um, and the Skurg is Eneron's version of the Shadowfeld. Okay. Or the Dark Plane. Uh, Titan's Peak is a uh, is a delve into a uh, long... Uh, a marvel of technology long forgotten. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. You said you were not into steampunk yet. Oh, dude, let me tell you something. The the do not think for a moment the irony was not lost on me that I got <laughs> yeah. assigned the module with all of the things I hate. Yeah. So yeah. I'm and I, but but I am a I am a professional. Well, I am a uh, hoping to be a professional creator of the things and. Uh, some you know sometimes you know there are things in my setting that people may not like, uh, i.e. the uh, mass murder of gnomes, uh, and uh, it is what it is. So uh, I, no, no, I look. I, let's go back to Titan's Peak. So tell us a little bit yeah. about it because I, I cut you off before you got anything out. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, no. No. It's like I said. It's uh. It's an exploration of a marvel of of long for of a long forgotten age. That rapidly turns into a race against the clock, an unexpected foe, uh, and a series of twists and turns. The result of which um, could have catastrophic results for uh, all of Eneron, should the players fail. Right, and then the next is the galley, uh, General's Lost Galley, um, where you are. I, I know the writer is still putting it together, but the Overall theme uh, is the Lost Galley. Uh, there is a humongous. Uh, well, the uh, this I believe, I believe creature. Um, the, that, yeah, that is a. Uh, 
Yeah, there's a hunt for a hunt for a lost ship. Right, a hunt for a lost battling ship, against, and then, battling against the Denzians of the deep and the dark, right? Uh, for and fame, I, glory, and, and really, treasure. Really trying to uh, see about an underwater adventure, a real underwater. Yeah, uh, type I'm of trying adventure. to. I don't know. I uh, I realized after I brought this up, we started we started like trying to do a promo to hook the people, and then I'm like, well, hang on a second. Um, I'm like, are we giving away shit we shouldn't? Oh, I mean, I, I, it's all back. It's, a, it, it's it's back of the book stuff, right? Yeah, everything we've okay. said has been back of the book. I don't what? think we're doing anything illegal. All right. So then, uh, so let me ask you. So uh, I know that every DM is different. Uh, they they like different things, different moods, different themes, different styles, obviously. So I'm curious um, to learn more about the games that you run. So I know you're doing play tests, and for the sake of not getting fired in the first show for giving away secrets. Well, uh, well, I will have to forego hearing about your play tests, uh, in public, but let me ask you, uh, you said you run, uh, a game for the Girl Scout troop and a game for, uh, people yeah. that have uh, chronic conditions. So are those both homebrews? Yeah, those, those are both homebrews. Now, are you um, running the same content for both or different? I, I actually am. I am running the same content okay. for both. Um, so uh, give me the give me the elevator pitch. Let's say you got a, you got an empty spot. Hypothetically speaking, all right. Somehow so one of your Girl Scouts got hit by a bus that I definitely wasn't driving, and now you have an opening for me on Tuesday night. Well, How are you going to hook me? The, the way I set this up was uh, for for both groups, and especially for the Girl Scouts, I didn't want them to have a big world, so I gave them a very small map that I found on the internet. Okay. Um, and it has some highlight points and has a town. And that's what I basically homebrewed was like that whole map and the different locations on it. Okay. So Post- you went, you went back now. Are you go? So this is a style question. Um, did sure, you go right. all the way back to, you know, pull back into the depths of 1979, um, and set up that style of, I think, I believe it's called, and, uh, yeah, it's called, um, a point of light in the darkness. Where every there's little bits of civilization, a town, your small town, and then everything around you is the deep, dark, unknown, and then the game is the players exploring the unknown around them. Eventually, right, that, that's, it, it's called the old forest. Okay, and and the town is on the edge of the old forest. They arrive at the town, and the town is desolate. Um, and there's this one guy, Scarlet Valez who looks like a three musketeer in his red outfit. Okay. And um, Lady Jane Mardrin, who's sort of the matriarch of the town. And when the adventurers arrive, they're just happy because no one's ever been there. And there's evil in the forest. And we need adventurers to go out and, you know, clean up the forest. So how do they... So, I, so give me the hook. So uh, the, hook is, the hook is, you know, you're sent out to, to make the forest better. Now, the Girl Scouts haven't gotten as far in the campaign where the chronic adventurers have gotten a bit further now. Okay. Um, they set out um, and they met this wizard, uh, this witch, Harridan, uh, that gave them um, a creature called Snuffles, which is actually a... Um, what would you call snuffles? A creature of holding. It's basically a chest with wait, wait, dog wait. legs is and it, dog tail. Is it the luggage from 
Um, yeah, I kind of, kind of took it from there. From, yeah, from, yeah, uh, it's kind of like world, Cratchit right? luggage. Yeah, yeah, the luggage is luggage is awesome. I mean, how could you not? Let me, let go me not to sidetrack, not to cut into your time, but let me tell you, that fucking game was one of the most frustrating but enjoyable experiences I ever had. Oh. I. I always think about it, and I always forget to try to find either a copy of it or an emulator so I can play it. Now that I'm Those older and smarter, Those, if you have not read the first two books uh, in the Terry Pratchett uh, Discworld series, if, if you're going to read any of them, you got to read the first two. They're they're brilliant. Yeah. Um, so oh, back, so anyway. back to your Cayman. So they had so they had the luggage. So they had the luggage. The luggage was given to them by the wizard, this witch. Um, who may have a secret identity that, like, if they're listening, I don't want to reveal. No, fair enough. Um, um, but they've been using this um, beast of holding called Snuffles, and they just noticed that some of their things are missing. And they just went back to the wizard's, the witch's location, and she's not there. Um, so so the mystery is starting to build. Um, Scarlet Valez actually has a much bigger role to play. Um, but again... I don't want to give too much away. No, 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 no. Um, so what's your? So let me ask you then. So what's your? So how? So your your game one for this? So did they? You know, did they just arrive at the town with a? With, you know, already knowing each other? You know, are they there by chance? What's your What's your setup for getting to the town and then helping in the forest? Oh, yeah, the, the um, village is the actually, village they actually them, actually don't know each other. They all arrive okay. at the town simultaneously, and then. Call it Valez, you know, brings them all together and says, you know, you need to work together kind of thing. Um, And then don't forget with with my group, Chronic Adventures, we have people that don't make it and do make it on Saturday or can't make it because they're not feeling well. We really don't worry about all that um, bookkeeping if someone's here or not here. Yeah. Um, so you kind of, kind of hand, roll with just, that you, a lot. You hand wave them in, hand wave them out. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and, and really I set up as a sandbox. Okay. Um, and they decided which place they wanted to go to first, which of course they picked Green Man Falls because it was rumored that it was a wizard's laboratory. So they went there first. Um, and then there was clues that led them to a mine, which was another location. Um, and then they were anxious to get back to town. Um, and, and that's the one thing I like about this type of campaign. Um, the traveling itself becomes a session. Yeah, it's epi- it's a it's a very episodic kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like um, this last this last two sessions ago, they had just finished cleaning up the cemetery of all these undead. Got back to the town. We had a little town encounter, and then they went on a they had a folding boat, and they went down the river and had some some encounters along the way. But I really feel like that's what really builds the world for the players. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, like because the. Um... Uh, when we have more time, I'll, I'll get, I, you know, obviously I, you know, I'll get into some of, uh, some of my stuff that I like to do. Um, but I agree a thousand percent, not having a map with names and no context for anything that, that builds on one of the, one of the pillars of the game is exploration and discovery. And that's right, uh, that's right. a great way to do that. And then, you know, they, uh, they, you know, do they have a map that they fill out as they go or do you do that for them? No, they, they have the map with the large, um, like like Green Man Falls is here, yep. but they don't know what else might be in between. So I can put anything else I want, nice. you know, in between. And then things things happen. Like in the Girl Scouts during their first wandering encounter. Now this has never happened to me before, too. They had all females, right? Yep. They encounter a unicorn. 
And I've right. never had all females encounter a unicorn before. I, I've never had a table of all women. Okay. Right? Um, gosh darn it. These, these girls, like, charm this unicorn. Like, they were not ready to battle. They I was, were like, oh, you know, they were like, we want to make friends with you. know, I, how come? I was, for a brief moment, I thought you were going to say, like, these girls surprised me. They murdered the shit out of that unicorn. That's what I was waiting for you to say. No, no, no. And it was funny was, then I gave him a nickname. He was Silverhoof. Yeah. Right? And now Silverhoof has become a character in their campaign. And I didn't write it. I don't, and, and I found that those types of random encounter things that I build into the sandbox yep. uh, make it even better uh, right. than if I had tried to premeditate something. No, some um, of the, let me tell you something. It's one of the, one of the lessons that I, uh, I learned in my old age and that I, I live by now and preach to everybody who is, uh, uh, you know, player, player, DM, aspiring DM, noob, whatever. Uh, is that you know never turn you know never turn up your nose at free content and allow the players to create things for you, um, right. you know it's the way I do you know and again I, I don't want to take I'm not going to cut into your time with what I do but you know I have systems for that and and it's such a wonderful thing because you're right so much good content comes out of the players intentionally or otherwise that that you know it, it's it's the old meme that. You know the you know the player you know it's like the players' suspicions and paranoia are the best DM because you just you're just doing what they think's happening. You're like that's a great idea, hundred exactly, percent. Exactly. All right, we and, got a few I minutes. Mean, oh, I've done a lot of murder mysteries um, yeah. in my time too, so I, I kind of have that. You know, that's always in the back of my head when I'm running adventures too. Is that man in a murder mystery? People just make some crazy shit up. They yeah. don't. They don't even lose. They they just make shit up. A hundred percent. So all right. It's okay. we, I see we got to Oh, go ahead. And uh, I guess my Ravenloft campaign yep. um, is is all homebrewed from basically, you know, the old PDFs I'm finding um, from the old systems. Back when it was uh, the Realms of Dread? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And then I'm... I'm or Demi Planes like of Dread, sorry. I'm kind of piecing things together. Um, Hour of the Raven, great YouTube show, by the way. Okay. Um guy Gabriel runs it and he has videos where he presents all the different versions so I'm also watching those so I can sort of pick and choose like what version of Tristan I want to use in Forlorn right? or what version of uh, Justy I, I want to use in, in Cena in the, in the Haunted Theater um, so that's been really 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 cool for me um, nice you kind of explore all that and my big thing is i like to do um digital art for all my adventures so every adventure we do i do like a cover picture um that's like my big thing nice just i don't know why i'm all a right. mixed media guy i guess no hey um i got i, I like that as well i, I like it's uh it does, didn't come across very well in my uh roll 20 games uh, but i like the idea of having that splash screen that is the the default screen that they're on, but you know, as things unfold, and then having artwork to throw up there for things because uh, a lot of times uh, words don't do things justice. So, oh, all right, no, I, I see. We... I complete. I hundred percent agree with you on that, and I'm working background screens for myself all the time. Yeah, I feel it's like essential. I mean, I am a, I'm exclusively an online DM because of my illness. Yeah, 
I really can't go anywhere and play in person unless there's like air filters in the room and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. That sucks. Man. Um, so, Hey, so I see yeah. we got a few minutes left here, so I want to wrap this up, but I want to do it and I want to do it in uh just some rapid fire question kind of formats for you as a DM. So I'm going to run off my, uh, my top of my head list of things that I'm curious about. So okay. uh, are you ready to answer? I'm ready to answer. Wonderful. Um, all right. Let's get with, let's get the most important one. Uh, snacks during the game or no food while you're playing. Most important question. Oh, geez. My players are all eaten. Okay. I have, I have found as the DM, it's really hard to snack and DM. Yeah, I uh, I am well aware of it, but I like food, so I keep eating. All right, next question. Uh, all right, so uh, traveling, uh, random encounters off a table, pre-made encounters that may or may not happen, or only what you plan? Depends on the campaign. I okay. use random for Old Forest, what I've planned for my Ravenloft. Gotcha. All right. When you are sitting down to plan your story arcs, or sorry, question one: Do you plan story? You plan your games in little story arcs or session by session? Oh, geez, uh, that's a great question. I think I start with a story arc, okay, but the session can alter that arc. So it is a session to session uh, thing. I think. Okay. I may start with an arc to get me going. Um, in fact, in fact, my campaign itself is when we played back in the day, I had a paladin who had a sword called the Cruz de la Plata who ended up becoming a vampire and never got out of Ravenloft. So uh, that's, why the, the that's campaign why the campaign title. is called yep. the Curse of the Silver Cross. Very good. Okay. So my, my thought was they would always come across this guy again. Yeah. Very nice. Right, somewhere in the campaign, but they haven't yet, and I've let them run wherever they've gone. All right. Do you, uh, in your build process, do you build around uh, a specific scene you that that inspires you or you want to come to pass? Do you build around encounters? Uh, do you build around something you see in the real world that inspires you for a story or something different? Wow. Uh, different different things for different adventures. Um like I know one we did, um, they were in the Sea of Sorrows. No, they weren't in the Sea of Sorrows. They were in Forlorn, underground. I found this great isometric map, and it just inspired me to, you know, to fill it up with Ravenloft, you know, with gothic evil. Um, but then other times I might see an image or a picture that says, you know, this this is how you need to design this. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and then, like, then when I did Cena, when I designed my own theater of horror, I actually just went to um, Viennese theater blueprints to inspire the whole, and we played from the blueprints instead of maps. Okay. So that was kind of gave it, like, a classic twist. And I actually had photos of the theater that they were in. So I kind of changed it from map to blueprints and photos. So it was right. kind of a really neat immersion, a very different immersion type of game. Right. So it sounds like your your build process is uh, inspiration, in-game events. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Big ones. Very, very nice, very nice. All right. And then last, my last question, you know, you know, do you strive to keep them alive or let them die? Gosh, this is such, this is, it's funny. I strive to kill them. Okay. But I can't seem to. 
Well, it's really hard in the system. But let me ask you when you say and, that. And I think I think that's the thing is when I first started playing in the system, I wasn't. I was striving to keep them alive. Okay. And I realized there was no reason to strive to keep them alive. They have enough bonus actions and extra bam. So it started to get to the point where, especially in the Ravenloft campaign, I'm going to throw a, you guys are going to fight a hundred goblins of forlorn. Let's go. Yeah. And I had built this battle map where they had hot tar coming at them and logs rolling down the field and that, I mean, and they still survived it, you know? And then even if you kill somebody, somebody's got to revivify or, yeah, that was, you know, uh, that uh, I'm with you on that, man. One of the things, uh, my closing thought for the evening, you know, and spoilers if anybody uh, listens to Critical Role and uh, hasn't uh, kept themselves current with this season. There, uh, several episodes back, there was this huge to do about the bloodbath of episode whatever, whatever, and I have kind of fallen off the show because for a lot of reasons that I won't waste the end of this episode on. But I'm like, well, I got to get to this. I got to catch up to that point because I, I got to see what happens, who gets killed, and to your point, it uh, it. It takes a very unique set of circumstances to start dropping players, and there's all that supposed drama. But as I'm listening to the episode, I'm like, you know what? Like, these people ain't, they're not staying dead. And at the end of it, only one character didn't make it. And there, I, I can already tell that the next several sessions, which I haven't watched, are going to be the quest to bring that one character back, and they're, they're not going to have a problem being able to do that. Um, so. Interesting. I, I, I am not a Critical Role fan, so I'm yeah. not a follower or a fan, but that's interesting, interesting. See, and this is my yeah. thing with, with the game. Like I said, if it if it makes sense that they would have access to uh, to find people, I'm, I'm again, it goes along with the idea of let the players create the content. Let the game create content, too. Uh, you know, so if, if no, someone... And, and if, I think, I, I, I gotta stop you here, yeah, though, yeah. because I think the most important thing is some of the most memorable occasions, some of the memorable games, are when my players died. Yeah. Um, and I, when I started my Ravenloft campaign, I let everybody know, you're going to die. And I haven't been able to kill them yet. But that's what makes a horror campaign a horror campaign. If nobody dies, it's, it's where's where's the horror? Yeah. Right? I mean... Oh, yeah. Well, like I said... I, um, I, as, as long as it makes sense that they, you know, they have the resources and whatnot... You know, I'm not opposed to them trying to resurrect somebody, and uh, it it it's like I said, it's free content. It creates, and you know, it's it's creates a mini arc on the backdrop of everything else that they're going to try to do this as long as the the setting allows it, and then you know and whatnot. Um, I don't have a problem with it because that's let's be honest, that that sessions that you don't you know you they write themselves essentially, and if the players want to do it and they're having a good time, great. That's a that's a great and that's a great building exercise for. For the players to know that the you know their fellows are gonna go through the effort of trying to bring their character back, you know, and that's a you know that's a good feeling to have players that want to do that. But yeah, I'm uh, uh, I am with you. It's really hard to kill them. I, I got some. I have ideas about uh, you know making it a little more grim, dark um, to to put that tension and horror back in, like you're speaking about, you know, especially in those settings. Um, I, I really feel like my group. I we do a good job. Even though they may never lose a hit point, I had them scared shitless when they were like in a mind flare lair. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, that's the one important thing. I don't think they necessarily have to lose 
hit points to be horrified. That's another thing. If you know how to run a horror game, it, it can run without. It can be scary. Yeah. It can still be scary. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And this is a, again, this is a whole topic for a whole show. Um, is putting is is putting that in there. And I do think if uh, if there are no stakes, there can be no drama. If there is no death, there are no challenges. Then that's why right. roll dice? Why have character sheets? You know, we I, I'm more. You can sit around the campfire and uh, build that communal tale, and it goes however he wants to go. So I will close on my thoughts on this and uh, get a little get everybody off to bed this evening. But uh, my opinion, D and D, there's no winning or losing. There is only the developing of the story, and sometimes it goes the way you want. Sometimes it goes the way you don't want, and other times it goes somewhere completely unexpected. But that's the fun of the game. So yeah, I was I was just thinking the same thing. There is no winning or losing. It's just a good time with good company. Absolutely. So uh, I will give you the floor. Any uh, any outro statement, things you want to say before we sign off for the evening? No, I just I wanted to thank uh, thank you uh, uh, for setting up the recording and everything. Doing an awesome job there. I know it's a little tricky. We'll get it all straightened okay. out. Yeah. Um, but again, if you're a player, DM. Uh, like any types of role-playing games, come check us out. Uh, we're going to try to be broadcasting every week if we can. Yeah, just about. Uh, if not live uh, every week, we'll definitely have a uh, try to have an episode out at least once a week for everybody. Uh, if you're on the internet listening to us live or recorded, thank you for spending the time with us. And uh, I want to put it out there that our plan is to have uh, open-ended conversations because we don't play you play rpgs because they are games that are limitless possibilities they are unlimited stories so why would you listen to conversations that are any different uh thank you enjoy your evening and we'll see you next week yeah take care everybody